Hello and welcome to another episode of Thinking Critically, a D&D discussion. A podcast where we take a single word or topic and discuss what it means within the D&D 5e and wider TTRPG framework. Each episode, I'm joined by a different guest to dissect a different topic. And today, I'm joined by Kat of Peach Garden Games. Thank you ever so much for joining us today, Kat. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi! Yes, first of all, I'm delighted to be here. That's kind of... That's the important thing. (laughs) I am the lead designer at Peach Garden Games, and I'm also the GM and host king of the podcast Sword of Symphonies, where my very cool friends playtest my big adventure game Heroic Chord. Amazing. Thank you so much. So today's topic is magic. So what does that word mean to you? I love it. It's my (laughs) favorite thing. I, um... I'm just going to start right out and completely put myself on blast. I'm a huge occult nerd. I have always been fascinated by occult anything, especially divination and fortune telling. Mm -hmm. If there's a method human beings have used to tell the future, I've studied it or practiced it. I love it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huge pet subject of mine. And I've also been playing role-playing games for decades, uh, plural. Mm -hmm. So... I've always been kind of fascinated by the difference between magic as human civilizations have imagined it and magic as role-playing games have imagined it Mm -hmm. and how very different they are. (laughs) Almost complete polar opposites in a lot of respects. And that's uh, beautiful, frankly. It's a feature, not a bug, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Okay, well then, for the for the uneducated, such as myself, then, what, what what are some of those kind of most egregious differences there between those two interpretations of magic? I mean, it's really difficult to find a grimoire that will teach you how to do a fireball. <laughs> I say this as a person who's read a grimoire or two. Okay. None of them teach you how to f- do a fireball. They teach you how to do things like cure boils or find hidden treasure or make your rival look worse physically. And none of them involve spraying rainbow colors from your hands and doing <laughs> random nonsense to dragons. And that's a shame. <laughs> that's, that's not okay. That's that's one strike for reality. Sucking. Right? Ugh. I think Ugh. I think, I think it is in always an interesting discussion around like how and even, even in, you know, because I know you can have like high magic settings and low magic settings, but even still there is some impact that has on on the, the setting, uh, you know, and how that differs from obviously real life. But the, the ironic thing is, is that most typical fantasy, you know, at least from tier one play in, in D&D 5e, is still quite down to earth and quite mundane. Yes, you might have a wizard or a spellcaster in your party, but it's still relatively like my kids stuck down a well go and you know, there's no there's no there's sometimes very little magic involved at that level which <gasps> is curious and isn't it kind of a shame that dungeons and dragons has constructed a magic system that has so many peculiar and interesting spells and magical effects but hasn't constructed a world that fits them mm. <laughs> like can you hire a guy to cast a floating disc and get the baby out of the well yeah 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 that's that, that's It always feels a bit, it's very difficult, I think, because obviously, especially when you have newer players who are 
slinging fireballs left, right, and center, and doing whatever the heck you know, flying around at level four and stuff. It is it is sometimes very difficult to communicate that like it almost feels contrived to be like, oh, well, the only person that can cast flying disc is seven towns away. So I guess it's your guy's job to do it now. And it's like, it just sometimes feels a bit awkward, a bit forced, despite mm. this being this, you know, the world isn't, you know, the planes of elemental creatures on your doorstep. But right now that that kid's yeah. stuck down a well and, and you've got to do something about it. It's like there's this barrier in Dungeons and Dragons between the magical portions of the world and the setting and the characters and the world you're supposed to exist in when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. Like there's, you're right, there's all these fantastic elemental planes, mysterious places, and I think the game still expects you to go to a tavern and order a beer. Mm -hmm. And there's this barrier that... uh I'm not a huge fan of. I used to, and I still do sometimes, edit short fiction, particularly fantasy and science fiction. Mm -hmm. And the best works of fantasy and science fiction, if it's got magic-like elements in it, and that's a whole can of worms that I don't want to eat. <laughs> but if you've got magic in your story, constructing a world that, in which that magic lives and breathes is just as important as constructing the magic itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't want your magic to feel like an afterthought. You want your world to feel magical. Mm -hmm. And that's that's always been a kind of a quibble. I've Look, I'm an indie designer. I can quibble about D&D all day. <laughs> it's it, as as a hobby group. Indie TTRPG designers love to complain about D&D and I am no exception. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, not, it's not perfect. So complain away. I'm like this, this consider this your vehicle. <laughs> It's definitely not a perfect game, but I think it's also, there's this, uh, how can I put this? I don't want to say resentment, because that makes us sound petty, mm -hmm. but because Dungeons & Dragons takes up so much of the oxygen in the TTRPG space, yeah. its its shortfalls are that much more frustrating, because they're magnified. Yes. Yeah. By the, the number of people talking about it, and the experiencing it, mm -hmm. and so on and so on. I will say this about Dungeons and Dragons, though. When I make a big fantasy adventure game, and I've made a couple, Heroic Court is an open playtest right now. I'll plug whenever I want. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've but, got a section at the end. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm off script already. But um, whenever I make a big fantasy adventure game, I like to include freeform magic, and I like to give players some control over the spells they cast. Mm -hmm. And in my manuals, I write that this gives people more ownership over their character. This makes magic a more of a self-expression. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's because I don't want to write a bunch of spells. <laughs> That's so hard. Yeah. That's so much work to write a whole bunch of spells that I don't want to do. So I'm always a little bit in awe of D&D for just how many different spells that they've written and, for better or worse, tried to balance, I suppose. There, there is a bonkers amount of spells and i think I, I, actually i was gonna try and assume with the reason why but i won't even begin because i can, it only feels like i'm a bit of a pragmatist and a bit of a you know i like things being concise and and, and you know mm. i don't like the scope to expand too much and it does feel like a bit of bloat has snuck in there i, I get the feeling like if you polled you know x number of people and just said name name the first you know all the D, D spells you can name there would be so many that no one remembers 
there'd be a long tail end that only like one person remembered that spell and then you'd have a really large head that was just like everybody remembered fireball everybody remembered magic missile everybody okay. remembered shield and it would just it, it well, my point is being is that there must be so many spells out there that just never get used ever or like so insanely niche and specific that they're just kind of wasted in a way you know the, like goodberry <laughs> isn't that quite a popular spell i know it was it was the most niche spell i could think of off the top of my head <laughs> i'm sure there are others yeah yeah for sure well i mean the fact that we're struggling to think of them is proving my point very eloquently so i'm very happy with that but um <laughs> yeah but yeah so it's just like almost like the paper that they're printed on it's like well no one is going to remember you so don't include it. maybe i'm being like i sound like a really like pedantic now like oh you're wasting my time i'm like wasting my time trying to read these spells in this book but it just feels like a, a failing of the design i suppose well it's not just it's not just you being pedantic it's it's um it's also a matter of the fact that a designer put nose to grindstone and pen to paper and wrote mm. all these spells yeah but that work often goes unnoticed because of the sheer volume of spells and also because spells in D&D aren't weighted evenly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They deliberately made Fireball better than every other damaging spell at that level. Yep. So who cares about Cone of Cold, which I'm actually is a level above, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. So, like, they deliberately made it so there are some spells you care about and some spells you don't, but they still made a designer work on the ones you don't care about, and that's <laughs> kind of a bummer. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I do recall reading that they basically said Fireball is such a signature, such a classic spell that they kind of mm. think it deserves a little bit of a podium to sit on and, and be, you know, shine a little bit brighter than its brother and sister spells, which part of me, the, the traditionalist in me likes it, but then the designer mm. in me thinks it undermines the whole magic system <laughs> if, if so, <laughs> somebody at some point just arbitrarily said oh we like this one so it's going to be more powerful well then i can't trust the spell levels anymore <laughs> <laughs> you really you really can't is the thing you're absolutely right you can't really trust the spell levels in D. &D. the only spell that ma spell level that matters is third <laughs> and it's viable <laughs> that's it yeah <laughs> that's it like if you if you said that to like a complete newbie who never, you know, was not familiar with spells or levels of D&D &D at all, and you said, oh, they designed this one to be more powerful, that immediately sows the seed of, oh, I wonder, I have to I have to kind of pass every spell I think about as to whether some person 10 years ago said this is a favourite spell of mine and it's going to be more powerful, and maybe mm. I need to add another layer of complexity onto, onto this spell and be like, oh, did, you know, is this a popular spell? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay, oh, well, I'll pick that one then. <laughs> Another reason why I like freeform magic so much is because instead of being constrained by which spells are the designer's favorites and the uh, the imaginations the designers had, mm. the view they had of how people would play the game, I like freeform magic because it gives players the opportunity to express themselves mm. instead of perpetuating the supremacy of fireball <laughs> I I, it has to be the tagline for this episode perpetuating the supremacy <laughs> of fireball i think that's really good <laughs> can you um can you explain a little bit like how freeform magic works then well um the first game i ever worked on was back in high school and college with some friends 
And we were still making, we were making one of those ambitious universal systems that everyone was making in the early aughts. Mm -hmm. And so we had a list of parameters like plus one damage or move someone five feet or things like that. And then you would just stack them up to make a roll difficulty. And then you would roll against that difficulty to cast the spell. Mm -hmm. In Heroic Chord, everybody has kind of an evocative word on their character sheet. And the GM also has a list of words in the setting. And you kind of fridge poetry them together and then tell the GM what you want the spell to do. Wow. Okay. Which is more modern design mm. <laughs> than what I used to do in the early <laughs> aughts. But both, I think, put the what does this spell do and look like on the player. Okay. Which I'm delighted by every time a game has that. So that's why I do it. Okay. Okay. So please excuse my ignorance then and my kind of mechanical brain to ask them what what know. you know say it's four players versus four goblins whatever mm-hmm. what's to stop a player being like ixnay flip-flop i want my spell to be green and turn all the gravity off for the goblins they fly off into space is there there must be some kind of constraint oh yeah there. there's a negotiation step with the gm ah. and players have a limited amount of magic mm-hmm and the GM is the one who decides what a spell costs. Ah, so he can just say that will cost all of your magic for the day. And then that's yeah. that's it. If they still want to do it, then let them, because turning off the gravity for the goblins is hilarious. <laughs> and I, I don't think a GM should ever say, well, you can't turn off the gravity for the goblins. That's hilarious. But you can, but it'll cost you is very much at the center of my game's ethics. Oh, okay. Okay. That's a really interesting way to look at it because you you there is an element of that with spell casting in, in D&D 5e the risk reward you know do I spaff all my spells on this fight mm-hmm. and, and maybe I'll need them later maybe I won't who knows but it's it's not quite the same <laughs> I think it's a bit more of a rewarding decision when you when you made it yourself like you built like I, I don't set that fireball's third level that's the game is telling me that it's third level but the players must know that they go, like this is a powerful spell I'm about to describe. They're probably not under the misconception that the GM will say right. that costs ten percent of my magic. Clearly, he's going to be like seventy five percent or more. So that's that's another layer of knowledge the players have, and they can kind of dynamically adjust their own spell power on the fly in a way. Yeah, and that's exactly what the rules say: is that it's a negotiation with the GM. So if you say I want to turn off all gravity for the goblins and send them to space, mm-hmm. and I say that takes your remaining magic. And you say, okay, what if I turn off gravity for the goblins so they hover five feet above the ground and they can't, like, get purchased? They're just floating there. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe that'll cost half your magic. Yeah. And we go back and forth until we both agree on what this spell does and what it costs, and then it happens. Wow. Okay. Blimey. My, my creative juices are already flowing. I'm like... <laughs> in this this hypothetical battle I've, I've thought of. I can see how that is just... <laughs> crazy flavorful for like you know the 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 imagination that can come out there and the theming as you said to really make your your spellcaster very unique in in the things you you make up and i'm also thinking nonsense the nonsense my players come up with (laughs) is so rewarding for me as a gm and a designer one of my favorite things as a designer is watching people play my games and seeing the kind of bananas strategies they come up with Mm. it's Mm. just a delight Mm, yeah, I'm sure it's super rewarding. And I imagine that after a, 
they get you know comfortable with it and the role players settled in they probably have sig- signature moves mm-hmm. so like the negotiation doesn't doesn't happen anymore because they'll just say oh dm I'm, I'm casting you know gm i'm casting my special phoenix firebolt that everybody knows what it is because it's the thing and that, that the negotiation has already happened and it's that it's like their signature move it's completely their own which i really love the uniqueness there of it yeah i think if i think a person should be free to cast fireball but i want the player to invent fireball every time they cast it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. instead of picking it off a list i yeah. want them to say i want to summon a huge ball of solar fire that sears the enemies and does hideous damage to them and lights the building on fire mm-hmm. i want the players to come up with fireball <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i do i must admit i like kind of pluck going against the grain a little bit and it does <laughs> you know when, when my players and, and when i'm playing with others they take fireball it just it just becomes the de facto go-to and it is a bit mm-hmm boring i guess in a way because you just know what the spellcaster is gonna do and it's like, oh okay well it's so true you're not you're not you know you're not a, a, an inventive element anymore because we just know what you're gonna do so the i'm actually playing a wizard uh, i think we're level nine in the the podcast that i'm in and mm-hmm. he is actually a school of chronomancy which is the Fun. the exandria i think kind of expanded universe and i've really like I'm a huge fan of theming as well. So even if it was a different school, I would only I'd try and pick, you know, almost exclusive spells from from that school because it's like, well, that's the school you picked, right? So I, I love doubling down and being like, this is the this is who this person is. Right. So I, I picked a lot of chronomancy spells and then other spells that could kind of thematically fit with that mentality. Um so that like blink isn't chronomancy, but it kind of fits with you you could theme it in a way that it fits, and have eschewed typical spells like magic missile, fireball. I think I've only got about two damaging spells, and it that only hit me like a couple of sessions ago when when uh, we're about to go into some gladiatorial combat, and the rest of the guys are like, y- "You've got some powerful magic, right?" And I'm like, "Um, kinda, <laughs> but <laughs> but don't rely on me to like do the damage because uh, I'm gonna be flitting in and out of existence." and doing some other weird and wacky things so uh yeah so it's i I love subverting the expectations but then it's also kind of bit me in the ass a little bit because now i'm like i can't actually like i think blight is the strongest spell i've got and and that's like two casts of that and then i'm and then i'm like oh someone else has got to kill these enemies because unless you want my like two do four cantrip to help (laughs) (laughs) whereas uh last DD campaign i played i was a druid and we kind of, uh, we took Circle of Wildfire and we just reskinned it. So I was always doing ice damage because I was like a, like a blizzard druid. Amazing. So I would refer to Fireball as the big, horrible ice fireball. <laughs> and that was just what I did. And it became pretty gruesome. And I, I was just the damage dealer mm. every turn. And it was my job to do horrible murders. <laughs> it was like, it was, um... I didn't have to think as once I hit third level spells, I stopped having to think about magic. Yeah, which is which is, I think that's like bad in a way. Like it's the it's again. I agree. A, yeah, it's it's a failing of the system because you've just got your your bread and butter at such an early stage is a bit yeah. bit of a shame in my opinion. 
out of combat magic is always more interesting than in combat magic anyway. Mm. Mm. Out of combat, you're like, what do I have on my list that can get us out of this sticky situation? Yeah. In combat, you just do fireball. Yeah, 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 precisely. <laughs> yeah. I must admit, I've caught my DM out a couple of times with like, things like message and detect thoughts. Because I'm like, oh, that guy's far away. I'm just going to message him. Like, we, we, as I said, we went to this gladiatorial combat arena and there was, a, there was an NPC we'd had to run in before, but he was up on like the, um, up and up the VIP stands and we've just entered Ooh. the arena. And I was like, oh, I'll just cast message at him. And of course, the DM's like seconds away from priming combat and there's no one to stop me because we're out in the middle of the arena. <laughs> Like no one, yeah, you know, we're meant to be casting magic because it's a fighting arena, so no one can stop me. No one wants to stop me. So he's like, ah, uh, let me try and think about the response to this thing. Yeah, because <laughs> it's a bit of a loaded question. It wasn't just like, hi, how are you doing? It was, why did you do the things you did before, and why are you acting the way you are? So he, he's been caught out of, of that a couple of times, and similar with detect thoughts. You know, all out of combat, like tricksy little things, just to propel the story in ways that uh, might not have occurred otherwise. And those are way more fun. Like in combat, uh, you you do a fireball, you roll a fistful of d6s and everything is horrible yeah. and minor apocalypse and it's great. It's wonderful, everyone loves it. But outside combat, you're just like, "Hey, can I use can I use melt the stone on this wall?" Mm. Like is 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 that a stone? <laughs> like <laughs> like when you start asking those weird technical questions of your GM yep. so that you can just completely wreck the scene that's when <laughs> that's when being a spellcaster is fun. Yeah, what's what's the molecular structure of this plant pot because well <laughs> I don't want to say yet but uh, <laughs> I love when they that you know they're posed to me as a dear and I'm like what are you trying to do with this <laughs> this weird arrangement that you you've set up here um and things like uh augury which is kind of like a well you're, you're the expert but uh for those listening it's it's, it's <laughs> soft fortune telling i suppose in 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 D, you don't get a clear kind of this is the future but it's a was it wheel or woe i think is the the response yeah. you get with augury which I've started to use, a ritual cast as well. So I'm having to be really strict with myself and not just do it like before we do any big decision. Oh, <laughs> that's so that, no fun. Just so it doesn't grind, you know, it just grinds the game to, oh, uh, everyone sit down for 10 minutes while I cast Augury again. Uh, you know, it's just like, so <laughs> maybe, maybe he forgets to do it this time. Maybe, maybe he just can't be bothered to sit down for 10 minutes and save a spell slot and stuff. So, uh, Yes. <laughs> Everyone gather around, hold hands. We're going to light some candles. Yeah, just in the middle of like the middle of the day, in the middle of the street. <laughs> <laughs> let me get my let me get my implements. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I mentioned it earlier on around that there are. I think in the in the rule book it says you can have like a high magic campaign, medium magic, and low magic. I think if memory serves in the DMG. They're talking about like how many magic items to dish out. Mm-hmm. I think, I think if memory serves is mainly just around magic items and the rarity and how many the players should get at, at what levels. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what that feels, that feels weird to me because it's like, if there's more magic items that inherently suggests there are more, there's, there's more magic in the world, not just magic items that there is, there are more spellcasters everywhere. And that to me screams that, the, the setting should be radically, vastly different, even between high and medium, right? let alone high and low. And I don't feel like I ever read that anywhere, or no one's, you know, ever really said like, 
you know, in a high magic campaign, that that feels like almost everybody should be able to cast at least a cantrip, which is complete. Like nobody's dirty anymore, which is yeah. like a huge, like a massive, like, <laughs> it's a huge the- thing. <laughs> Yeah, everyone can cast a cantrip. Everyone can cast prestidigitation. We're good. Yeah. We're good on hygiene. You're absolutely right. And I have my own quibbles with magic items. I have some quibbles with magic items because magic items are such a required part of progression in D&D. Mm-hmm. The game is balanced around you having a certain value worth of them at every level. Yep. Which makes them feel less special and interesting, especially when they're just like their magic power is plus one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, they're literally just a vehicle to boost the power of the players just to keep parity. Right. They're, they're not a, uh, you know, a signature, a landmark thing. It's like the DM going, oh shit, uh, here's a magic sword somewhere that you find just because you need it to do more damage. <laughs> like if you want to get mad technical, Excalibur was probably a plus one. Okay, my Nick's going to get technical with me on it. Yes, it was probably a plus one short sword. <laughs> our, our imagining of Excalibur is a plus one long sword. Yeah. How does that come close to capturing the magic of the, the fables? Yeah. Like, there's no sense of destiny about a plus one long sword. No. And that that's no fun. No, not at all. Especially in like a high magic campaign where everyone's, they've, you know, got them at the back of their sock drawer. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot mm. I had that. Yeah, he's just knocking around back there. Don't just found that in the garden. Right. Like, <laughs> I've got a plus one longsword, but sorry, our party's moved on to plus two weapons. This is a junk. Yeah, yeah, straight in the trash. This is basically a meat cleaver, whatever. <laughs> I have I have seen, you know, uh, tips, you know, DM tips to, to help kind of mitigate that underwhelming aspect of plus items, we'll call them, of, of giving them special names like it isn't just a plus one longsword it's the destroyer or something but i mean i know my players certainly but i imagine there are others out uh, there are others out there that will go oh the destroyer that sounds cool what does it what does it give me and i go it gives you a plus one and they go ah and then immediately forget that it's called the destroyer because it doesn't really matter anymore (laughs) because what goes on the character sheet is plus one longsword yeah (laughs) D&D players, and this is by design, this is how the game works, are very, very technical, mechanical creatures. (laughs) It does promote that mentality, yeah. It absolutely does. I mean, I am a a fluffy, whimsical, narrative-driven indie TTRPG designer. You put me in D&D, and I will power game, Mm. because D&D just stokes that fire in a person. Yeah just makes a person want to get the numbers yeah well that that's that is a perfect that harkens back to what i was talking about about my my wizard you know i I wanted to build him theme first and i'm on the other side i'm coming out a little bit underperforming essentially and it you know every so often i'm like yeah sorry i just i'm not you know they look at me to be like do the thing that will just annihilate this guy and i go now i mean i can cast haste on one of you is that gonna do it like (laughs) yeah and I mean, good on you and making a quote unquote underperforming wizard in the face of all the power gaming pressure D&D puts on a person, because that's not easy. Mm-hmm. I very often will make a caster and I'll be like, well, here's my goal. And then by the end of it, I'm just taking the biggest damage, spells, <laughs> no matter what I set out to do. Luckily, I think, I mean, it, let me let me rephrase the question. Had I picked like evocation school, then absolutely that would mm-hmm. have been 
but that, that as I said earlier on, that's the school, right? So all the evocation spells are like, I'm going to kick ass and take names. Mm. But obviously I pick Chronomancy and there aren't a particularly number of damaging spells for Chronomancy. It is more about controlling the battlefield. So it is a, a little bit different than your, your average one. But um, now we're having this discussion, it's made me realise that in my traditional kind of 5e campaign there, I, I don't think I've given them a single plus one item. And I think they're level nine oh. now. So I think by the book they probably should do. And I think it is purely because of that distaste for them in my head. Like, I'm like, they don't... It, it's kind of pointless. They just don't do... I need at least... Yeah. Give me something else. Give me something that's snazzy. Give me something else that can do something smart or, or is cursed or isn't just a, a, a plus one Ooh. item. Cursed, 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 cursed. Well, there, do it. There, there are... They have two cursed items now. <laughs> that I'm super stoked about. Both given to them by a dragon, a green dragon, I might add. They probably should have been a bit more wary about them, but... So you can't trust those. You cannot trust those. Yeah, li- literally it was like, oh, you've been such great guests. Why don't you take these extra little treats I've prepared for you? And they're like, yeah, all right. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no! but last, last session he was like going to kill you. He did say like, he was more than prepared to kill you if he needed to, and now he's given you gifts. Did that not strike you as particularly odd? <laughs> <laughs> it apparently didn't. <laughs> it's like, nah, cool dagger. What does oh. it do? And I'm like, oh, it allows you to do more damage today. <laughs> so they they uh, are they're just about to go into combat, and both their cursed items are going to come into effect. I think it's when one oh. when one guy gets healed, something bad happens, uh, and then when the other guy takes damage something bad is going to happen to him. And I think both of those are going to happen in this combat they're about to go into. <laughs> Your players are beautiful, trusting angels, and I must protect them. <laughs> I love them well, they, the, so much. The, 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 odd, the, 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 the odd thing is, is that it, it was literally just the lure of magic items. They've been so distrusting <laughs> of every other NPC they run into. But the moment a green dragon, like a conniving, twisting, manipulating green dragon, who's literally tried to mind control one of them already, puts magic items. There's, yeah, we'll hoover them up, chuck them in the bag, and uh, yeah, we'll be on our merry way. And yet they'll they'll interrogate some poor, like, 12-year-old intern at some office, like, because they, oh, you're up to something. No, I'm just... I just don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so beautiful angels. That will that will I'm very interested to see their faces. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what happens when they, those magic items come out. And that's like <laughs> the fact that you and I have just had this discussion is is why I don't like plus one items, because there would not have been a discussion. It would have been me going, I've oh, just given them two plus one items. Cool. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Here's the the fantasy editor in me coming out is that like D and D is meant to be about telling a story like the legends you hear growing up, mm-hmm. like a fairy tale or like like an epic fantasy novel. But the problem is in fairy tales and epic fantasy novels, magic items are rare and wonderful, and they have this. I've said it before, but the sense of destiny about them. Mm-hmm. They mean something. And D&D has never successfully really captured that feeling for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a I think they there's a number of artifacts and that are I think I think basically with the artifacts that they give you they have a bit of spiel around them about like 
it's a million billion years old and is looks like this and the pages have got pictures on them wow that's the limit of my imagination we we met very quickly there um but like uh, they feel like they do but then they're also at the top rarity so i think like level 15 players should only have one or something and that's a long way to get to in a standard like a long epic you know sword in the stone like you know arthurian campaign to go from even like three to 15 it's a long way before they get and then what the campaign ends because they got it (laughs) yeah and i mean i think i remember hearing somewhere that most D campaigns don't go past level eight yes yeah so there's like a lot of the really impressive and majestic items are loaded toward levels most people never see Mm mm-hmm and the other thing is that it's very much on the GM to manufacture out of nowhere this sense of wonder mm-hmm. when the game doesn't really support it. And that there's a lot of pressure on literally any game master in any game. Yeah. It's a high pressure role. It's not to be taken lightly. But I feel like D&D is not particularly kind to its GMs. <laughs> oh, that makes me feel better, actually. Yeah, about my situation. <laughs> because... I mean, you can read the DMG and you can play rules as written, but a lot of the stuff that makes campaigns magical and memorable is on the GM. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of support for that in the books, I find. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah. It's difficult. D&D's roots are in a combat game. Like, it it comes from chainmail. So it's not surprising, but it's still kind of a bummer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, precisely. Uh, but going back to our discussion around kind of like magic settings and uh, some contrivances that you have to make sometimes as a as a world builder or as a DM, is that I I remember reading somewhere I think it was on an RPG Stack Exchange someone asked like cure wounds is really it's like level two spell maybe even level one I can't remember off the top of my head but it's it's a relatively low spell and then the question was like considering how low that spell is why is anyone hurt like injuries and and fatigue and and combat stress and all the other stuff that hp stands for shouldn't really be a problem because cure wounds are so cheap and the the answer was while you know exhaustive it it did again feel like a lot of concession a bit contrived like oh but you'd only have like one cleric per village and you know think about it how you think about i don't know like something in you know an analogy to modern day society where you know every town doesn't have one of these things but that's how you should think about it in your campaign i'm thinking yeah but then why do those people not live where there are people that can just heal them like these small villages out in the middle of nowhere surely those people would have gone living out here sucks because i might die whereas if we move you know 200 miles down the road i can pay a very small amount to not get hurt (laughs) and Isn't it a lot more interesting, at least to me, anyway, to think of a world where everyone's so used to magical healing that they have no ability to handle serious or grievous wounds, Mm -hmm. and if the ability to heal something magically is taken away, they don't know what to do. Yeah, I was just about to say that sounds like an amazing setting. Like, it's it was a high magic campaign, and then you start when, for some reason, it's been shunted down to low magic, and suddenly everyone's like don't know how to clean their clothes because they don't have prestidigitation anymore. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Like, 
they have to read in ancient tomes how to bandage a wound to keep it from getting infected because the th- like bandages aren't a thing when you can magically heal wounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they have to like harken back to the days before magic. Yeah. Figure out how the ancients used to do medicine. What the fuck is an amputation? Yeah. <laughs> what? Horrifying. They did what? Like <laughs> That's way more interesting. Yeah, I love I love that as a setting. And like you could even, you know, if you wanted to go whole hog, you could even restrict the the player characters to the more kind of mundane classes and and subclasses to to, to really hammer it home or you swing the other way and have them be spellcasters and be like you know the chosen ones essentially or for some reason they're the only ones that can still conduit this power and then they become like messiahs every village they go into because people are like ah i've got 101 ailments and like problems and i can't you know i need to find food because i was just living on goodberry and now i can't and what are berries right. and how do I eat them? And I ate one and it made me feel sick. Uh, <laughs> please help. <laughs> I want to <laughs> I want to run that very badly where there's this tension between like the players are spellcasters in a world where that suddenly became super rare. Mm-hmm. So everyone they meet needs their help because they don't know how to function without magic. And yet they also have this quest they're trying to do. Mm. So it's like, do you spend time in the hospital tending to the sick and wounded but you've got to try to bring magic back to the world so everyone's going to be okay. Mm. I I would love to run Ooh. that. That sounds like a really good story. Yeah, because it's that like, it's that short term cost of perhaps these people will die for the long term benefit of perhaps you can bring magic back and you can help a lot more people in the future. Or do you help these people now, but then push back the time when you can bring it back to everybody at the cost of unknown pain and suffering? Oh, oh. The other thing that does is there are some abilities that really get put back into their original context. Like the paladin's lay on hands was meant to be like this holy person performing a miracle, but because it's not cure light wounds, it's just a lesser healing that the party's magic fighter can do. Mm -hmm. But in this setting, suddenly it's back to being a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Ah. Lay on hands is, is, can sometimes become the little like, I'll just pop one heel off on that guy to bring him back up again. Which is a bit, yeah. it's like, again, so underwhelming compared to how it is meant to be like, oh, I, the hand of God is upon you. Be healed. Right. It's just like, now nah, get up. Uh, yeah, I touched you. It's fine. You, you healed one point. Stand up. Yeah. <laughs> I love paladins. They're my second favorite. Well, they're tied for first place for my favorite class to play. I love paladins and I love bards. Ah. Because I like, I like having options and they're both very good utility casters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's part of the reason I love bards is because they're just a Swiss army knife of a character mm-hmm. that can do virtually anything if you're using your brain. Yes. But the problem is that, yeah, paladins in fiction are bestowed with holy power because of the purity of their heart. And in game, they're a fighter who's a little bit of a cleric. Yes. Yeah, they're a bit dis- dissonance there. <laughs> But in this world we've created, we go back to being like, this is a miracle worker. <laughs> this is a holy night. Yeah, uh, I might have to you know, trademark this somehow because people are going to steal our um, fantastic idea when the episode goes out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I- listen, if you steal our fantastic idea, you need to tell me literally everything your players do. You need to tell me the entire story. If I don't get to run it, I at least want to hear the story. Yes, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm assuming that no one else has come up with this idea before, but I, that's the world <laughs> I want to live in. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it. <laughs> um, regarding uh, Eberron, which is often cited as like Arcano Meccano, kind of slightly more higher magic setting in general, mm. uh, like magic punk or whatever the term is. I don't know if you've got any experience with Eberron at all, and how that kind of I again. Actually- don't. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. I... I've never actually played an Eberron, which is a shame, because Eberron at its best is extremely interesting fusion of magic and technology, mm-hmm. and it's... I have such a distaste for steampunk. I could... I, I have such a distaste for it. Uh... But Eberron at its... So Eberron at its worst is just more steampunk. Yes. Yawn. <laughs> but Eberron at its best is just like, what is magic? What is technology? Where do they differ? What kind of person engages with these? Like, at its best, Eberron's gorgeous, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't. Because obviously, we're talking about like high magic settings. To me, a high magic setting would effectively be Eberron. If you're in a high magic setting, you'd have to play it really early on in the life of the world, essentially, before they've had a chance to really get to. I get. Here you go. We're just workshopping another setting right now uh, of like mm. a high ma- well, a high fun. magic setting, but very. <laughs> early on in, in the life of that world so there isn't you know people are just like uh, uh, the fireballs come out of my fingertips sometimes and i don't know why and uh, <laughs> and it's just this thing that happens and i tripped and fell over this yeah. branch but it wasn't a branch it shot lightning out when i tripped over it whoops okay that's very very different from our previous from our yep. previous setting but i like this a great deal too which is <laughs> just like that would be a game. I I don't think I'd play that in D and D. Is the thing? Yes. Yeah. Because the thing about D and D is that the spells are known quantities in D and D. Whereas it would be really fun to be like, you want to cast a spell? You want to cast a fire spell? Okay, I'm going to control what it does, not you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's your job to figure out what the spell did and how to cast <laughs> that spell again. The more, more alternative would be to make the party only sorcerers, and they're all wild, they're all wild <laughs> magic sorcerers, and then that's it. That 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 that's the deal. You take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. I, I think, although having not had a huge experience, I think I played one short campaign in, in an Eberron setting, but I think one of its positives is that it can it can beg those questions of like, what does it mean to be in a world where kind of automatons exist? What does it mean to be in a world where, you know, technology is supplanted by magic you know what what is science in this world what is technology in this world when you have both of these things kind of intermingling together is i think when it when it asks those questions is when it can be really interesting and exciting to me it's always like the question i always want is what is an npc's life like Mm -hmm. and i think I'm, i'm much less interested in the party's lives they can figure out what their lives look like i don't have to speak for them in that regard but when i'm gming i need to be able to speak for the npcs and i would like a game that lets me develop what everyday life for a normal person is like in this world Mm -hmm. like are there like in eberron are there bread baking robots i have no idea i hope so (laughs) are there robots who make the bread for the bakers that, that's what I, those are the kinds of questions I always ask about games like this. <laughs> Who makes the bread? <laughs> how, how does a loaf of bread get made in this setting? Yeah. How are laws 
established and enforced, if at all, in this setting. Mm. Things like that. They're really kind of like fundamental questions can that you the, the earlier on you ask them during the world building, I think it can pay a lot of dividends later on because you've already kind yeah. of got that. Oh yeah, that would happen because of X, Y, Z and not be like, oh, this is the first time I've encountered this question. Yeah. Let me make up something on the fly and it suck. Like the players are meeting an important NPC at a bakery and you get to describe the the automaton that's automatically kneading bread mm-hmm. while the baker messes with a panel on its back mm-hmm. and the players are like wow world build <laughs> and it's it's the tiny details for me yeah for sure for sure yeah so that that's oof, we've covered a whole a whole lot there I, i'm super chuffed when we end up workshopping on these episodes uh and, and, and yeah. coming up with some some interesting ideas and campaigns so thank you very much for that my my pleasure this was fun <laughs> To, to to change gears a little bit and talk a bit more like mechanically about certain spells, uh, specifically with 5e at this point. And as you said, they are very prescribed. They're very much a known entity, you know, so much so that a wizard can copy, like make a carbon copy and ta-da, I can now cast the spell. It's literally mm. written instructions in universe, let alone in the rule book. It, you know, in universe, someone's got a PHB, essentially. <laughs> yeah. So with that in mind, regarding components, verbal, semantic and, and material, I don't know from your experience if you've ever kind of eschewed some of those, because I know sometimes they can be a bit of like a, not an afterthought, but not uh, unimportant, I suppose. I think all the groups I've played with, we only use material components if they're interesting and if it's a high level spell. Mm-hmm. Like, do we have to get the diamond for resurrection? Yes. Do we need the bat guano for fireball? No. Mm. Do I need to light a nail on fire every time I cast heat metal, which is like once per session because it's my favorite <laughs> spell? No. But for the big deal ones, mm. if it's something that we have to like problem solve around or even structure a session around obtaining, that's interesting. That adds to the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I've... I mean, regarding diamonds and stuff, I think obviously nine times out of ten people are after them for resurrective spells, uh, and mm. you know, often they have a high cost as well. But although that makes that is an interesting and you know makes you know role play to a certain extent, even if it's just go to like the diamond shop <laughs> and be like, I'd like to buy one, please. <laughs> uh, even that has you know opportunity there for role play, and you're taken away from the the wargaming side of things, which is which is great as a DM. I have to say, maybe maybe it's because my players are newer and not kind of super into the details that I am of, of spells, but it often feels like I'm using the required components, you know, verbal or semantic in this instance, as a, a gotcha. So if they're trying to be discreet, I'm like, but does that have a verbal component? Can you roll me a stealth check, please? Oh. <laughs> uh, and it, sometimes it feels like, uh, yeah, as I said, like I'm just trying to catch them out, which I'm... I guess I am, but it's only because I love like <laughs> I love keeping things congruent and like standardized across. If that spell needs a verbal component, then it needs a verbal component, unless you've got subtle spell or whatever. But that I I love you know keeping things standardized. But every other time I'm like, I think one of the drawbacks of something like Charm Person, despite it being so low, I think it does require all three components off the top of my head so stuff like that mm. i'm like yeah you're literally waving your hands about like a crazy person and lights and runes are appearing 
I like really try and be like, this isn't just, you don't just give them a thumbs up. You're doing magic. <laughs> like pe- people will see yeah. because you're casting a spell. You're not just sneezing and, oh, a fireball appeared. It's like concerted effort. But yeah, I, I feel like I have to stress yeah. that. I don't know whether that's a DM player thing or a down low everybody else thing. I hope, I'm hoping not the latter. Uh- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, no, I've definitely, the groups that I've played with have mostly taken that, mostly taken verbal and somatic components into account. Mm-hmm. It's material components that we often can't be bothered with. But the problem with that is that nobody thinks of verbal or somatic components when they're cool and interesting. Mm. Nobody thinks of like an impassioned caster screaming the verbal components to fireball in the middle of combat. And that's cool. They only think about it when they're trying to stop somebody from being stealthy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nobody's like, what do the gestures used to cast heat metal look like? Mm. How cool are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's what I'm next. It, I'm really lucky that combat's coming up. And I think I'm going to have that as a DM tip in that that when someone casts something with a verbal component during the combat, I'm like, what, what do you say? Tell me and tell me how they say it. And yeah. I want to try and add that in a little bit. Because, I mean, it's a lot easier for melee, I think, especially when it's, you know, a finishing blow to be like, oh, because everybody's, that's the thing, right? Human beings, it, pick someone up off the street, we are much more familiar with how swords work because swords are a thing that exists in our world. Yeah. Cool lightning or fireball or blight, they don't exist, as far as I'm aware, in our world. So trying to take that leap of ingenuity is, you know, in innovation imagination is a lot harder because you don't have that fundamental just knowledge of i pick up a sword at the handle i hit something with it and it hurts and it cuts and i can block and parry and and so on and so on whereas at spell it's like well i wave my hands i do jazz hands which is great (laughs) but it is just plucked off the top of the head so i think there's that it's a lot easier for the you know how do you want to do this with my rapier, I parry his axe out of the way and it flies through the air and then I sweep his leg and, and you know, pierce his heart with the, the rapier. It's a lot easier than being like, I cast fireball on the ground next next to him and he explodes in fire. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there's an indie TTRPG that goes into physical components in great detail. It's called Inspiriles and it's... Um... Since the price is in pounds, I assume it's uh, it's designed in the UK. But the the system for for casting spells is actually based on sign language. Oh wow! So the physical components of spells is sign language, and this game actually teaches you sign language as you're casting spells. Amazing! Yeah, it's so so interesting. It's a beautiful game to boot. That's really cool. Yeah, um, I'll, yeah. I'll have to check that out. I'll 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 actually send you a link. Woo. But um, in Heroic Chord, I get a lot out of asking my players, "What does your magic look like?" Mm-hmm. And my players will freely, freely and happily describe all the gestures their character makes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. So I think I think even D and D could benefit from a GM taking the moment to be like, "What does it look like when your wizard casts Fireball?" Mm-hmm. Let's slow down a second. Let's forget what the book says. Let's cover up the book for a second. What does it look like when your wizard casts fireball? Yeah. 
Absolutely. There's always, even I know we were joking earlier on about, you know, world magic sorcerers just not knowing, but pretty much every caster has the ability to flavor and theme. You know, it's it's not out of the world, you know, the realm of the game to consider a bard theming. You know, when the fireball explodes, it sounds like a gong, you know, gong being being hit when it yes. <laughs> when it explodes. Like that would be great that, you know, there's, you know, even quote unquote generic wizards that are just, you know, an ABC caster, even they, you know, you can flavor it however you want. And I, yeah, I completely agree and completely encourage that. And I'm going to implement it myself in, in three days when I'm DMing. <laughs> yeah, that's the spirit. It's what does your magic look like is a question I ask every time I GM and I am never disappointed by it. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never once been disappointed by the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of my players, I think I'm, I'm quite lucky, he's a cleric of uh, the Grave Domain, and he's he's very heavily what? thematically themed, you know, around skull motifs and blacks and greys and scythe. He's got a scythe as his weapon, like it's all very thematically fitting. You know, his, uh, what can clerics get? Um, like they get some spectral warriors that can kind of, you know, do an AOE yes, thing. Yes, they do! <laughs> I forgot that cool spell. Yeah, so his oh. are like Grim Reapers. Yes, please. He, he's done that before. He's like, oh yeah, Grim Reapers. And, and his uh, magic, you know, you can have like a spiritual weapon that flies around as well. His is, uh, yeah. again, it's like another kind of Eldritch Scythe thing. So he, he is very much already there. But a few yes, of the others. Yes, please. Yeah, a few of the others. Like I really, I've got a, um, a sorcerer who is of the storm. So that Ooh. is like, oh, that is an open book for, you know, flavoring all your spells to be... You know, there's like a, you know, lightning bolts and clouds and rain and thunder and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to try and uh, pull that out next session. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> is there is there anything else uh, you wanted to talk about? Anything we might have missed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I can share with you a spell from the olden days. Oh, please. There's a spell in, I think it's the, Ma- oh yeah, it's, it's in the Magus, which is an ancient grimoire. And it is about making an amulet. And here is what you do. You catch a toad. And you hang the toad upside down in your fireplace. Mm-hmm. And you sit in the room. You make sure it can see you. You make sure it knows you're the one doing this. And then when it dies, its anger produces a poison that is so poisonous that it's a poison to all other poisons, and you can turn the toad into an amulet against poison. Wow. Okay. That's the kind of thing that is an ancient grimoire. <laughs> <laughs> I, again, it make, it makes sense. Like there's, a, I like I like the train of thought there. That's very cool. <laughs> it's such a weird one. Yeah. Magus is a bizarre book. <laughs> I uh, I had I had one final thing uh, that I wanted Ooh. to kind of approach it at a different angle and get your take on is that I wanted to ask you what do you think the magic of TTRPGs is or wh- where the magic of the, the the hobby comes from and I mean that in an abstract sense rather than a literal sense. Yeah 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 yeah. Hmm. TTRPGs occupy this really beautiful liminal space between taking in a story and acting out a story. You get to be both 
the consumer of a story. You get to sit around your GM and listen to the story they tell you, Mm -hmm. but you also get to be part of it. There's a level of magic there that you're getting attached to characters who you have an amount of control over. That's, to me, very beautiful. Hmm. And unique. Yes. There's, There's not a lot of media that lets you participate and consume in more or less equal measure. Mm. And the other thing that I love very, very much about TTRPGs is just how wide open they are. Mm. No matter how open world a video game is, it's still only going to behave in the ways it was programmed to behave. Yeah. NPCs are going to have programmed dialogue. Yeah. And that's that's the limitations of computers. And that's mm-hmm. nothing to scoff at. Video games are fun and beautiful. But anything can happen in TTRPGs. Literally anything. And that's so gorgeous. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of a lot of RPGs that other people are fans of, like Dragon Age and stuff. Because of how mechanical it is, you know, you can kind of see through. You can see behind the Wizard of Oz smoke screen a little, a little bit. bit now, and it's and it does it doesn't. It, you know, they they tote them as choose your own adventure, but I'm like I'm not I'm, I'm still really not choosing my own adventure. Maybe D and D has spoiled me. <laughs> yeah, there's there's still a dialogue tree, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Precisely. Cool. Well, uh, unless there's uh, anything else you wanted to talk about, I'll give you one one last uh, opportunity. No, I told my frog story. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't give you that opportunity just in case. <laughs> God knows what will come next after that one. Um, <laughs> uh, well, in which case, uh, is there anything you would like to plug? Absolutely. So you've heard me mention my own big adventure game, Heroic Chord. It's an open play test right now. You can find it at peachgardengames.com or at peachgardengames.itch.io. We would, it's completely free. I would love for you to check it out and let me know what you think. I am the host king of the podcast Sword of Symphonies, which is the Heroic Chord playtest campaign. It's recorded. If you're curious about any of the things I've said about magic in the game, or if you read the game and want to hear it in action, Sword of Symphonies is the thing for you. I make a lot of small indie RPGs, but right now I'm actually working on the system resource document for Heroic Chord so other people can make their own hacks of this system. And I can't wait to see what people come up with. Amazing. Uh, oh, as usual, all, all the links will be in the episode description and I'm definitely going to check out the podcast because I want to see I want to see it in action. We've talked about it now, but I think, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things that really you got to see it to believe it in a way. And I, I'm, you, I mean, if any if any episode has made me sound like a a rules lawyer you know by the book kind of person it's this episode so i'm very interested in seeing something <laughs> that's that just because people are comparing you to me and i'm five marshmallows in a trench coat trying to sneak into an r-rated movie <laughs> <laughs> so. oh perfect perfect well thank you again ever so much cat for joining us today i was delighted to this has been wonderful Ah, that is amazing to hear thank you everyone uh, for listening at home uh, as usual all the links to everything we've talked about today uh, Cats uh, India TTRPGs and podcast will be in the episode description please check all that stuff out please message uh, us on social media and we'd love to hear from you and have a talk about magic in your game otherwise thank you all for listening and good night bye